sometimes, you know, I think it's easy for us when we're reading this book to, to forget how practical this is. Like we can get caught up in the manna and in the Israelites and we end up reading this as if it is a fictional story about some faraway people in some faraway mythical land. Uh, or we read it as maybe kind of historical fiction that happened, you know, thousands of years ago, but it doesn't really apply to my life today. If we're not careful, this doesn't become our story. This just becomes a story. But this is our story. And like, if, if we're humble and we look, you find incredible practical teaching for your everyday life in this book. And so this week, we're going to take some incredible practical teaching from the Bible about one topic, and that topic is parenting. Amen. Parenting. And listen, just, just I will make you uh, keep your eyes open for this one. Raise your hand if you are a parent. Okay, raise your hand if you're a child. Just keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you know a parent. Raise your hands if you're a grandparent. All right, so 100% of the people should be listening today. Because if you didn't fall into one of those categories, I don't know. I don't know what I've got for you. So this matters to everyone. And the problem is, though, I think when we think of the Bible and parenting, most people, not, not any of you, but a lot of people summarize the Bible's entire view of parenting with one scripture. Anyone want to guess what it is? Spare the rod, spoil the child. I know exactly what the Bible says about parenting. Spare the rod, spoil the child. You know how many times I've heard that? Can I tell you all a secret? That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. That is actually a poem from a 17th century poet that's become woven in to what we believe the Bible says. So, so let me, now there is a verse that's sort of similar. It's Proverbs 13, 24 says this. It says, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. The one who loves their child. That sounds a little bit different than if you don't beat your kid with a stick, you're not raising them right, doesn't it? It's possible that, that, that King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, when he wrote this verse, he wasn't talking, he wasn't spare the rods, but he was talking about, hey, if you love your children, then you must discipline your children. To, to, to love them is the discipline. I mean, I think there's a, a greater explanation of that. But the problem is, if we are biblically ignorant, we cannot expect to raise kids who know and love God. And I don't mean that as an insult, but when we quote things from the Bible, the, the truth is often somewhere different than what we think it is. So we must understand what this book says if we are to understand our true identity as parents. Like, God has a lot to say about this. Parenting your kids is one of the most important things you will ever do on this earth. It is, it is a great responsibility. It is a great challenge. Uh, there is great reward. But introducing a young child to the power and the presence of a God who is active and attractive is quite possibly one of the greatest things anyone can do. We have a responsibility and we have an obligation. And the first thing I want you, we're just going to go through some thoughts on this, and I hope they all connect. But we're, we're going to go through some stuff 
on, on parenting today. And the first thing that you need to see is this. Your faith is not just about you. Luke chapter 6. There's some good stuff in here, man. Luke chapter 6, verse 39 through 42. And I have never read this in the uh, thinking about parenting until this week. It says, he also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Come on. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay. Why should any parent expect their kids to act better than the parent acts? I mean, really, why should anyone expect to have well-mannered, decent, law-abiding little kids if we're not well-mannered, decent, law-abiding parents? Like, we need to deal with the log in our eye before we deal with the speck in the eyes of our children, or at least simultaneously. Like, be considering what's going on. And listen, I don't want you to hear this because this is not what I'm going to say today. Your kid's... Uh, sins are not all your fault. Because I did, my parents did good, bless their heart. <laughs> they did good, and I was still bad. Um, but I turned out to be better than what I was. And a lot of that's because of the way my parents parented me. Uh, your kids' sins are not necessarily your fault, but a good tree should produce some good fruit. And if all the fruit around you is rotten, it may behoove you to examine the tree. Amen. <laughs> I know you'd say that for that one. <laughs> I mean, you have to every now and then you have to look and say, what's going on in my life? And, and you know, how can you get mad? Dads, that's how can you get mad at your son for being rude to his teacher? If you talk to your wife rude in front of your son. Moms, how can you get mad at your teenage daughter for having a bad negative attitude if you yourself walk around the house with a bad and negative attitude all the time? We shouldn't expect our kids to overachieve us. Like their frontal lobes aren't even developed. Clarissa told me that. <laughs> a lot of what I'm going to say today, Clarissa told me. I found out she was right about some things. Why are we putting standards on our kids that we're not willing to live up to? Maybe we should stop and look at the log in our eyes. So I think one of the baseline beliefs we must have as parents is, if I'm going to deal with the speck, i got to deal with the log. If I'm going to deal, deal with the speck, if I'm going to deal with what's going on in my kid's life, if I'm going to deal with how my kids talk, I've got to deal with how I talk. If I'm going to deal with what my kids watch, I've got to deal with what I watch. If I'm going to deal with how, how my kids live, I've got to deal with how I live. If I'm going to live with how they respect, I've got to deal with how I respect. I cannot expect them to rise above the teacher. And yet I see this all the time. We've all been there, right? Don't cuss, you little beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Don't hit. <laughs> right? Surely I'm not the only one that's done that. <laughs> We've got to step up our game and deal with things. We're far more accountable than our kids are. Yeah. 
We're far more accountable. We're more accountable for what they let into their minds than what they let into their minds. We're more accountable than they are. Because we, and I'm talking today to mature Christians, if you're not a disciple, then this message is really not for you. Because if you're not a disciple, you're simply an obstacle God's going to step over to capture the heart of your child. If you are a disciple, then you're going to be part of the plan. Luke 6, 46 through 50 says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on a ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. All right, in, in this verse... Jesus is talking about building a house on a foundation of Jesus, because Jesus can talk about that. He said, build your house on a strong foundation, on a foundation of Christ. And in in this time, in this area, in, in the Middle East, their idea of individualism was very different than ours. For, for that region, still today, it's about collective. It's about community. So when they talk about building their house, they are talking about building a foundation for all of those around you who might fall under your care. We hear that as, I must build my own personal individual relationship on Christ. They would have heard this as, I must create a place where everyone around me experiences a foundation that is built on Christ. So when I read this verse, guys, and don't, this is not me coming from a standpoint of perfection today. I am convicted on every single thing I'm going to say to you today. Are you building a foundation in your house on Christ? If there was a silent observer in your home, which come to think of it, there's times when that would be weird. But if there was a silent observer in your home and they were writing down what is clearly foundational in your house, they were just making notes. Their their little board said foundations and they were watching you. Where would Jesus Christ fall on that list? Is it apparent in the conversations? Is prayer, does prayer permeate your home? Do do you talk about worship? Do you talk about the glory of God in your house? Would they say, uh, uh, Jesus is definitely foundational during dinner time because that's when I heard his name mentioned? What would they say? Again, this is not, this is not, it's not condemnation. This is me realizing it's time to repent and change. And if I'm going to create a foundation on Christ, that's not up to the church to do. That's not Stuart's job to create a foundation of Christ for your teenager. That's not Clarissa's job to create a foundation of Christ for your kid. Parents, that's your job. You are the one who will stand accountable to God for the kind of place your children are being raised. You, me. I will stand accountable for the kind of place I created for Kinley in Cade. You know, that, that, did y'all see about this uh, scandal where these parents paid the schools all this money to get their kids in there, right? You cannot prepare the path for your child, but you better prepare your child for the path. And there's a difference. There's a difference. We are accountable for what is going on in our homes. So today what I want to talk about is creating a place 
of grace and truth for your children. Parenting your children with both grace and truth. Because it's your responsibility to do it. And today we're going to go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going, to, we're going to read several verses from Deuteronomy today, but this is the first one. Chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Just, did y'all hear the word impress them on your children? That is different than oppress them on your children or depress them on impress them. That implies some grace and some love. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God is saying, man, love me. Love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Write these things. Like Make these things something you talk about in your house. Love me and make loving God a constant topic inside your house. And, and I think oftentimes we think we love God because we feel some emotion. But Jesus in John clarifies what it means to love God. John 14, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That makes sense. My father will love them and they will come to love them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. So we're going to teach our kids to love God. We're going to talk about this. What does it mean? We teach them to obey God. We teach them to obey the commandments of God. And this is so incredibly practical in the lives of our children. To teach them to obey God, to love. And remember, this comes down to two rules, to love God and to love people. But imagine if our kids... now. Our kids aren't going to do everything we say. We know that. And again, let me go back. Even if you do everything I'm going to tell you today, there's not 100% guarantee. Because I was a knucklehead and my parents did a lot of this. But I can guarantee they will fail if you don't do this. I can guarantee their life will be exponentially more difficult. Now again, they might find God. And I know, I know beautiful stories of people who found God outside of these situations but the parents became an obstacle, not part, of the, not part of the redemption story. You get to choose, man. So you have the choice of what to do. But think how practical this is in the lives of your kids to love God and to love people when they go to school. And they're loving God and they're loving people. And, and we teach them that, 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 that you don't steal, not because, not because God hates thieves. You don't steal because when you steal, you hurt somebody. And we teach them that you don't lie, not because God hates liars, but because when you lie, you hurt somebody. And we teach them that when you're not humble, it's not because God hates it. It's because when you're not humble, you steal from somebody. When you cheat in class, you steal from those who have prepared. When you do these things, you're not loving God and loving people. So we change the language in our home instead of labeling our kids as cheats and thieves and liars, we simply explain to them where they broke the law and we show them how that hurts people. We explain. We point out the violation without labeling the sinner. You know how many times I have failed at this? Man, I'm going to confess something to y'all because Caden's not in this service. Um, 
like every week, whatever I'm preaching on seems to be like what I fail at that week. It's remarkable. The other day I preached about rest, in part of, and I, I didn't sleep all week. This week I'm talking about parenting, and man, about four days ago, I was in the car with my 14-year-old son. And uh, any of y'all have teenagers? Hey, come on. Like, I was this close to a throat punch. I, I actually, I actually, this is, this is truth. I, pulled, we, I was driving him to the high school to register for his high school classes. I pulled over at the stop sign in front of the high school, looked at him and said, get out of my truck. He's like, I, I said, get out of my truck. I made him walk down to the high school while I drove behind him in my truck. Yeah, yeah, lost that battle, lost it. <laughs> but I mean, this stuff is so important. And I did some good things. Through, we came back. We worked it out. <laughs> but it's tough. But like oh, every single thing we do matters. And so we're thinking like, so let's say your kid loses their temper. I'm just trying to give us practical illustration. Let's say your kid has a temper problem, right? Which I think all teenagers have a temper problem. So they get in trouble for losing their temper at school. Instead of saying, man, you jerk, you're, you're, you're so blah, 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 and labeling him. What if we said, hey, let me tell you a story. One time Peter was standing in the garden with Jesus, and these soldiers came to arrest Jesus, and Peter pulled his sword, and he cut off the ear, and Jesus turned to him and said, man, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. I know that temper is a problem for you. There's been some amazing people who had temper problems. But I promise you, if you live angry, Angry is what you're going to get in return. And here's what's not going to happen. Your teenager's not going to go, oh, that's brilliant. I'm going to totally change. I had no idea Peter lost his temper too. Thanks, Dad. That's not going to happen, okay? <laughs> we plant seeds. Jesus Christ handles outcomes. We plant seeds. We plant seeds. Man, we plant seeds. And every chance we get to point our kid back to Jesus Christ is a victory for us. Every chance we get to not label them, to not demean them. To, I mean, there has to be rules and there has to be consequences, but we don't revel in the rules and consequences. Like we hurt for them. And every chance we get to point them back to Christ is a victory for us. Because let me tell parents, I'm going to tell you a secret. The reason your kid has a behavior problem. It's not really a behavior issue. It's a sin issue. Our kids are lazy because they're sinful. And, and, and this is important. Like if your child is young, I believe God has incredible grace on them. And I definitely think there is a place in our father's house for kids who do not yet know and understand God. But your child is a broken little sinner. So is mine. And mine's super cute. They are broken little sinners. They have the curse of the sin without the connection with Christ. I mean, imagine this. They have this curse of sin. Paul said, I was sinful in my mother's womb. I was born sinful. Children were born into a land, into a world where the sin of one has polluted the sin of all. And so they have sin in them. That is why you don't have to teach your kids to be selfish. They're born that way. <laughs> they have a sin gene inside of them. I, lo I love my kids. I like your kids. Kids are good, but they are sinners. They don't have that. They're loved by Christ. They are protected 
by Christ, shown incredible grace and incredible mercy, but they are not empowered by Christ. So to expect them to rise to a level of sanctification and sainthood, of perfection, that we have yet to achieve is, is setting an expectation that will allow everyone to fail on a constant basis. They are broken little sinners who stand in need of Jesus Christ. And so I think this is incredibly important. The law is necessary for your kids, okay? That means, that means, that means when, you, when you break a rule, there's consequences, and the consequences, they're clear, and they're well understood, and they're communicated. But the consequences will never change the heart of your child. The law is powerless to rescue us from sin. The law, the rules, if you're expecting your punishment to change the heart of your child, it's impossible. It, Punishment didn't change my heart. It was the grace of God, the kindness of God that led me to repentance. The law exposes sin, but it is grace that heals sin. And so our children must have both, the law that exposes it and the grace that heals it. And if your house is 100% one or 100% the other, they are missing out on what they were created to have. Grace and truth, the fullness of both. Deuteronomy 4.9. I think this is so important, man. So important. Deuteronomy 4.9 says this. It says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Do not forget what you have seen. Like to me, this, this is one of the most beautiful and foundational premises of our faith in Jesus Christ. Don't forget where you have been. Don't forget that it's only by the grace of God go I. It is God's incredible grace and incredible mercy that I am able to walk through a day without doing really stupid things, right? And so to expect a child like to put these incredibly heavy, and I'm not, we should expect them, we should pray for them, yes, and want them to be good, but to expect them to not fail when we ourselves are simply failures who were bought and paid for and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not saints because we achieved a level of perfection. We're saints because we were perfected by God. There's a difference. Are you parenting as one who's been there or as one who's always been perfect? It's a different some kids are looking at, mm-hmm. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 20 says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord has commanded him, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. What if we begin to parent, not as people who'd always been kings, but as captives who'd been set free? as those who remembered that we were once slaves and God has set us free. Wouldn't that change the tone of the conversation? 
Wouldn't that change the way you spoke with your children, change the way you approach them? Again, I'm not saying to allow sin because grace does not allow sin, but grace approaches sin for the purpose of building up, not for the purpose of crushing. There's a difference. How do we approach the sins of our children? Imagine, imagine, let's do another, imagine your kid gets in trouble for cussing at school. Let's just throw that one out there. Now, this isn't a problem for any of you, but I know at the church over there, they've got people who cuss. Um, <laughs> what if, what if your, your child gets in trouble for cussing at school and the conversation, instead of saying, you dumb, blah, blah, I can't believe you, what, what if you said, hey, I used to struggle with that. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ in my life that my tongue has been bridled. Like, I know, I know what it feels to be frustrated. I know, I know what, what it means to sound cool. I get it, man, but the grace of God has freed me in that area. And I hate that you're going to miss the football game because you did that. But I know that there will come a day when God will set you free from that. So I'm going to pray for you. And I hate about the game, but you can be freed from that because God has freed me from it. Is it possible that that conversation could have a greater long-term impact than, the ten, than taking that stinking bar of soap and shoving it in their mouth. Y'all ever had that bar of soap in your mouth? I have. That thing tastes bad. I went to a Christian private school for elementary school. Christian. A lot of abuse. A bar of soap in my mouth. Is it? And you know what? That bar of soap did nothing to change my heart or to change my attitude. All it did was make me cuss about the person who stuck the bar of soap in my mouth. I got sneakier. I didn't get holier. Right? My teeth were clean. How do we change the tone of the conversation we're having with our children? Let me, let me tell you guys something. I'm just going to sort of bring this home for me. I, so you, I have a 6-year-old and a 14-year-old. I parented my son. And I'll try not to cry. I don't know why. I probably will. I parented my son wrong for so many years. Like, I got Caden when he was six. He came with no instruction booklet. Um, he just was there. And he's like, hey, dad me. You know, I was like, okay. Uh, I, I used, I used uh, shame, rewards, and punishment as crutches to be a good dad. And I see that now. I see, I see where I failed. Um, and I see that, that I began to put a divide between he and I because my my. My punishment was, it was the best, I, I didn't beat the kid or anything, but it was, it was the best I knew at the time, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't building him up. Like, so many of the conversations we had, I, w I wish I could go back and count the amount of no's to the amount of I love you's, and I'm afraid that the balance would be so incredibly out of whack that it would break my heart, so I'm almost glad that God has helped me forget how poor of a parent I was in the first few years with Caden. And so I, I could see, though, that, that what I was creating was a divide, and what I wasn't showing him was grace that would actually change him. Like, he has to see laws in me. He must see the truth in me, but he must also experience the grace in me that heals his sin. I am God's instrument for delivering grace to my son. I am God's instrument for delivering truth to my son. That's my job. And he was getting a lot of truth and very little grace. And since then, I have worked to change the approach I have with my son. Over the last year, I have changed my approach to him. 
There are still rules, and I will still kick that dude out of my truck every now and then. <laughs> but I, I pursue the heart of my son. Like, I'm in constant pursuit of that boy's heart because I love him and because I serve a God who's in constant pursuit of my heart. He's not just following behind me, slapping me when I mess up. Like, he pursues me. My God is where I am. He meets me where I am. So I meet my son where he is. I go where he goes. I care about what he cares about. Why? Because I'm pursuing the heart of my child. I want to know him. I don't just want to discipline him. I want to know him. And do I fail? Yeah, I fail. And when I fail, you know what I do? And there may be parenting books that tell you not to do this. I think you should throw it away. I apologize to him and ask for forgiveness when I fail. I apologize to my four. I apologize to my six-year-old. She hadn't forgiven me for something I did two weeks ago because I didn't give her a Rice Krispie treat. But I said I was sorry. <laughs> she earned it. I mean, really, like, when, when you do something wrong to your children, apologize to them. Demonstrate to them how a Christ-centered, God-redeemed human being should act in the world. Like, go to them and say, I am sorry. I did, I did it Saturday. Saturday after Caden and I had that blow up in the, in the kitchen, we were just having this friction because when we are disconnected, I can always tell because he's, he's puffed up and I'm puffed up. And if we fight, I'm going to win, obviously. I'm bigger, stronger, and faster. But I could win that fight and lose the war that my God has called me to, and that's the war for souls, Right? And so in the kitchen, I just said, hey, Caden, man, we're, we're crossways right now. And you know what I said? And y'all are going to say, I said, you hurt my feelings. He's like, what? I said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm after you, man. I'm pursuing you. I'm loving you. Don't talk to me like that. He was like, kind of looked at me like, you have feelings? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, I tell you what, I'm, I'm respecting you. You respect me. And I give him his space. I don't crowd him, but I am investing. And I am pursuing because it is my hope that through me, he will come to fear the power of God and he will come to love the grace of Jesus Christ. Your kids aren't dirty little rats who have behavior problems. They're also not perfect little saints who do everything right. They are broken sinners who stand in need of grace. And we are the delivery mechanism of that grace. So I would just challenge you this week. Think about how you speak to your children. And if you don't have a kid, you've got a kid in your neighborhood, you've got every single person here can be involved in the life of a child. Think about it. Think about how you're speaking. Think about what you're saying. Are you breathing life into these kids? And if you're not... Repent, change, and then ask your child to forgive you. Be bold. And I, let me say this, too, before I close. We're about to wrap this up, and in a minute we'll pass the buckets. I want to thank you people who are, who are spending your hard-earned money to create spaces where kids can receive grace and truth. We're building a youth building back there, and it's coming along amazingly, and that is happening because some of you, 
thought it was your responsibility to create spaces where kids would receive grace and truth. We're doubling the size of our kids' area back there. And we're doing it because some of you considered it your responsibility to create spaces where kids would receive grace and truth. And I truly, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you because my child is learning at home. And I am her primary, she is my responsibility, but it is being supported here. I have a village around me that is supporting the things I am teaching my daughter. And we are creating a space where more people in this community will receive that same support. That's worth it to me. And I pray to God it's worth it to you. Be a parent with grace and truth. Be the one God created you to be. Amen.